eyes. Blueprint changes as the years go on, but you don't get to see, you don't seem to get any older. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's possible, but it's pretty amazing. Uh, Scotty asked me to, to speak on the lectionary reading in Luke 13. Some of you have looked at that. Uh, I wasn't real happy about it, but I'd like to read it, and then uh, we'll see what we can do with it, huh? It says, there were some present at the very time, this is Luke 13, 1 through 9, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well, good. But if not, you can cut it down. All right. This is uh, the Gospel of Luke. This is in the section of Luke. It's often called the travel narrative. And uh, right, Charlotte? It's a travel narrative. And it's Jesus is on his way down to Jerusalem. It starts in chapter 9, verse 52, and, he's, and it goes all the way to 1944. So this big chunk in there is all on the way, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem for the last time. So he's on the way to the cross. So that's the setting for this. And uh, somebody comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, and he, and he talks about this event that happened where Pilate, who's the governor, Pilate had a bunch of people killed while they were worshiping in the temple. He, it says he mingled their blood with the sacrifices. So the sacrifices is the way they worship. So it was Jewish people in the temple worshiping, and Pilate killed them. And they were Galileans, right? So they were up from up north coming down to Jerusalem to worship. Now, it's possible that they could have been saying this to um, try to get Jesus to, to, get, to have a political comment on this so that he would get in trouble with the Roman government, all right? So there, it could have been that they were trying to trap Jesus, or it could have been that they were saying, hey, Jesus, you're Galilean too, aren't you? Aren't you on your way to Jerusalem? And maybe they were trying to scare him, saying, well, you know, that could happen to you. But Jesus doesn't get sucked into the conversation at all. He, he takes it in a different way, and, and when he does, he challenges their assumptions about how life works. Have you ever had that happen? Like you, you kind of were going on with life and you thought it worked one way and then all of a sudden you realized, oh crap, life doesn't work that way. I've got it wrong. Yeah? I'm, I'm guessing everybody has had that experience. <laughs> and if you haven't, I don't, I don't know who you are. <laughs> So the, the assumption that he's challenging is that bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. That's the way life works. And that would have been a very common view. And frankly, you can, you can lift that from Scripture if you take certain 
passages out. Not if you look at the whole arc of Scripture, you can't. But if you take some certain ones out, you, you probably could come to that conclusion. If I'm good, God blesses me. If I'm bad, God curses me. And so there is this idea that, that if you're bad, well, then bad things happen to you. But Jesus says, do you think, do you think other Galileans... Do you think the ones who died were worse than those? And they would answer, well, yeah, they, those guys were worse. That's why they got killed. And Jesus' answer is, unless you repent, you're going to perish too. Now, it's possible Jesus is talking just on this horizontal level where he's warning the people of Israel. So he's speaking to the people of God, right? This would be like Jesus in a church right now. And say, do you think you're better than those people who got killed? Well, unless you repent, people of God, church, you're headed for destruction too. That's pretty full on, isn't it? I think it is. <laughs> and then and he says, well, what about the, the people that had the, the building fall on them? They were from Jerusalem. Do you think they were worse than the other people in Jerusalem? Now the people would have said, yeah, of course, the building fell on them. That's why... They were worse. They got what they deserved. And Jesus says, well, unless you repent, the same thing is going to happen to you. You also will perish. This is Jesus. This is like, you know, he's, this isn't the Old Testament. This is Jesus. Does that make you uncomfortable? I hope so. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. Jesus is pushing against something here. Then he goes on to tell a story. And the story he tells is, man has a tree, a fig tree. But it doesn't ever have any figs on it. He goes to it year after year and there's no figs on a fig tree. Now that's annoying. Like if you love figs and you go to a tree and you're waiting to get a fig from a fig tree and it doesn't ever have figs on it, that's annoying. And so Jesus says, well, the man who owns the vineyard says, cut it down. It's just taking up space. But the gardener says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I will take care of it for a year. I will fertilize it. I'll water it. I'll speak to it. I'll pet it. And it will, it will have figs. But if it doesn't, after a year, you can cut it down. Now, again, in, in biblical language, a fig tree is often representative of Israel. And this is spoken to his people, saying, and he says three, you know, three years. I've been with you three years, and I don't see any fruit. There's no, you don't have any fruit. And the fruit that God requires of his people is that they love God, they love each other, and they love the world. That is the fruit. And he said, I don't, I, don't, I don't see any fruit. And it's a real warning. It is a warning to the people of Israel. Now, 40 years later, Israel gets wiped out. Jerusalem gets wiped out. The Romans come in, destroy the city, destroy the walls, burn the temple, burn the place of God's presence, and destroy it. So there's the text. And I think... I think what we can learn from that is, first of all, we have probably some assumptions about who God is and about who we are and about how life works that aren't accurate. And we need to allow, 
we need to allow the Spirit of God to confront those so that we can repent. And repent just means so we can turn, so we can change, so we can align our hearts and our minds with what is real and what is true. Because if we don't do that, it's going to destroy us. We'll just be destroyed. If we don't align our hearts and our minds with what is real and what is true, we don't have a future. And Jesus is saying, this is like the path to life. Repentance is a path to life. And so when we get confronted by those things that, that we thought were true and suddenly they aren't true, we realign our hearts and our minds with Jesus so that we can have the life that he's called us to, that, that he wants for us, that he died so that we could have. Now, we've all had this happen this last week, right? We had, this, this, we had some assumptions like, oh, that could never happen in New Zealand, right? We believe that. Probably everybody believed that could never. What happened in Christchurch could never happen here. And now we're going, oh, oh, that can't happen here. So how do we, how do we realign the way we think and the way we act with, with what is true? And what do we do? And I think in this culture, if there is any concept of who God is in, in a wider culture, I think it would be God is love, right? I mean, that's how God is love, which is true. God is love. But we've got a weird definition of love when it comes to God is love. And normally when we say God is love, it means he'll let me do whatever I want whenever I want. Now, I'm a parent. That's bad parenting. <laughs> that's really bad parenting. And that's not love. And that's not how God is. For God to, to never confront us and say, hey, wait a second, that is not okay. The way you're living is not okay. If God never does that, he's a, he's a bad dad. Really bad. And he's also a God who, who wants what is right and what is good. Not for his kids to be spoiled brats who do whatever they want, whenever they want. And we, we want God to be like that, except when it comes to this guy in Christchurch. You know, we don't want Jesus just to embrace him and say, oh, it's, it's okay. Do you? I mean, there's something inside of me that says, wait a second, you, you just killed 50 people while they were praying. God's just supposed to say, oh, it's okay. So we want, maybe we want justice for that. And maybe we can think of some other things that we want justice for. Some really bad things. Or maybe not really some horrible things, but some things that really annoy me about somebody else. God, I want justice there. But I don't know if I don't know if I want it here. And really the point of this passion passage is Jesus saying, You've got your own stuff. You think you're better than those people? You're actually not. And if you don't align your hearts, your minds, the way you live with what is true, with what is real, it's going to end badly. Now, there's a good chance he's talking again on this horizontal level with Rome and all that kind of stuff, but maybe not. Maybe he's speaking about something bigger than that. And that makes us really uncomfortable to start talking about e eternal kind of stuff. But I think we need to sit with that. We've got to sit with what Jesus is saying here. 
figure out if, if he's saying anything to us because he's talking to the people of God. That's who he's talking to. And then just think about this fig tree for a second. <clears throat> what if the fig tree said, wow, I must be the best fig tree in the whole vineyard. Look at me. I'm getting so much attention. I'm getting manure all over me. I'm getting water. I am, must be an awesome tree. When the reality is, these blessings that you experience are actually your last chance. Like you're on borrowed time here. Sometimes we use the blessings of God in our life to justify our life. Say, so, oh, I must be okay. Look at all the stuff God's doing in my life. Look at all the stuff he's doing through me. That's a dangerous place to be in. Because God is using me, therefore, the way I'm living is okay. I, I wish this wasn't true, but it is true that God can use me to do miracles even if my heart is not connected to him. Absolutely, he can. He has. I cannot justify the fact that God is, you know, just because God's doing miracles through me means that he endorses my life. So I need to go, oh God, do you endorse my life? How can I tell? How can I tell? Is the blessing of God a reward for the way I live my life? Or is the blessing of God just because he loves me? And maybe he's trying to get me to wake up and that his kindness is trying to lead me to repentance? Maybe it's like that. This is a hard passage, isn't it? And, it, you know, if it was Paul, we could kind of write it off, maybe. Oh, it's just Apostle Paul, you know. <laughs> we can write him off. Jesus. Jesus is saying this. And he's saying, you know what? There's, there's something going on that's bigger than we think. And how we live matters. And, and what's in my heart matters. I, uh, I had a friend. He wasn't a friend at the time. He was this uh, atheist and he, uh, and he had a dream, and God came to him in his dream, right? Which is really, like, if you're an atheist, that's, you don't want to have that dream? <laughs> it kind of ruins your, your thing, you know? And he, t he told me later, he said, God came to me in my dream and told me I was dying. He said, you're dying. That was it. He woke up, and then this was back um, in Minneapolis, where I'm from, and he met, he met some people from our team and eventually came to one of our Bible studies and, and met Jesus, gave his life to Jesus. But he looks back at that moment where it's like, I had this view of what was true and what was right, and, and I was wrong. And God confronted me by telling me he, I was dying because I was. Like I was. The, the, the path that I was on, the life I was living was going to kill me, literally, but maybe spiritually as well, it was killing me. And uh, my beautiful wife, Kirstie, um, is, is at home tonight, but she, she wanted me to send her love, for those of you who know Kirstie, <clears throat> but she really felt like God um, wanted, to, wanted to wake somebody up tonight. Wake somebody up to the reality of, of how you might be living your life. And boy, if, if, if that resonates, I'd be really good if, if like, 
if you had some people pray with you or you come and talk to me, you know, at some point, maybe maybe later. Because what if, what if like that word that God gave my friend Jimmy, that he's dying, what if that's a word for you, that the path you're on right now is going to lead to destruction? And Jesus wants us to live, and he wants you to live. You know, that word repentance... You know, if, if from you know, I'm an old guy, so I've got this you know baggage with that word growing up. Repent, turn, or burn. You know that kind of thing. And there's a degree of that in this passage, isn't there? To the turn or burn thing. But but Jesus, like repentance, is the is the way to life. And I was given a gift when I was a teenager. Like it was such a gift. I look back at it, where where I met Jesus, and I and and I when I met him, it was. I just felt like, man, I, my heart is really, is not good. Now, I wasn't like a horrible kid, but my heart was not good. And I, and I felt like unworthy, and I felt like Jesus offered his, his forgiveness and his life to me. And it was like this gift. And I thought, man, this is, this is so amazing. And I was so grateful. And so when I came to Jesus, I didn't come with this attitude of, well, I'm doing Jesus a favor by becoming one of his followers. You know? And I didn't feel like God owed me anything. And I've, I'm sure I've had my moments over the years, but I still have hung on to that. It's like, man, it's a gift. You know, God's just given me a gift. And I don't, he doesn't owe me anything. And he's given me way more than I ever deserved. And I've, like, that was a gift. It was a gift of repentance that God gave me. And so I haven't, you know, I've talked to so many Christians over the years who were so angry with God because, you know, God owed them. God, God owed them and he's let me down. And, I, you know, I get, I get where, you, you know, life is difficult, and, but I've, I've never really had to struggle with that. Even when I've gone through difficult times, I've just felt like, man, this has been such a gift. If I don't see anything else, God still gave me way more than I ever deserved. It was a gift. And I pray tonight that God would give you that gift, that sense of, of gratefulness with the fact that he's, those of you who are like following Jesus, that he's aligned your, your heart and your mind with what is real and what is true. What a gift. And, and I just pray that God would give you that gift. So I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm guessing that um, some of you wanted me to address the hell question. And I don't, I just need to, like, this week I had a dream. I've never, and I wasn't thinking about this, but I, I like, I had a dream of hell. And I've never, like, I've never dreamt of something like that ever in my life. And I don't even know what to do with it, but I had this dream, and it was, it was horrible. Like, it wasn't like flames and whatever, but it was just like this horrible, horrible thing that I, that I saw. And I woke up, it was the middle of the night, and I just went, oh man, God, are you, is that true? Is that real? I, what if it's real? I mean, just, it, you know, I have my theology hell and all that stuff, but I just thought, man, what if this is, what if it's true? And it really unsettled me for, for you know, quite a bit of the, of the week. And I'm still trying to, to wrestle with it. And I grew up hearing about, about that. You know, I, that's the doctrine that I grew up with. 
and nowadays we don't we just don't we don't go there we've got some other ways of dealing with those passages in scripture so we don't have to go there and you know i could have long conversation about all those passages but my question based on my dream is i I just thought what if what if it's real what if i what am i gonna do with that now that's never been a motivating factor in my life because the love of God has been so real for me. Um, but I just thought, man, what if, it's, what if it's true? What do we do with that? How do we sit with it? So that didn't answer any questions, but I'm gonna pray. Lord, I ask that you give us a gift tonight. That you give all of us a gift in this room, just a gift of of repentance, being able to see our own hearts the way they are. And I pray that we wouldn't be delusional about our own hearts and our own motives and our own thoughts and our own actions. And Jesus, I know you want to lead us into life. And life is, is full and abundant and difficult. But you have this life for us. And I pray tonight for anyone who feels like they're dying, that you would give them a gift and allow them to step into real life, to real life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.